Thank you, Carla. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the message through music we've heard. And God, we pray as we uh, look into uh, the scriptures the next few minutes that you'll speak to our hearts, God, that you'll challenge us in new and fresh ways, God, to be obedient to what we see and what we hear. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. There was a movie in 2004, and I'm not endorsing this movie. I saw parts of it, and I don't remember how good or bad it was as far as, you know, being inappropriate. But the movie was entitled Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. And I remember the, the, the basis of it was he was kind of a depressed alcoholic guy who got a job as a bodyguard, and he kind of fell in love in a good way with a little girl he was guarding, and she got kidnapped. And he got on fire to get her back. And when he got on fire, brother, things happened, and he did get the little girl back safe and sound alive. We use the term, hopefully, in a symbolic way, man on fire or woman on fire, to talk about someone who, who has been touched and who's got a fresh breath of enthusiasm and uh, a fresh push about their life or their ministry. And this evening in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're going to see some deacons who caught on fire. Now, if some of you are thinking, I know some deacons I would like to catch on fire, this is symbolic. But boy, when they caught on fire, did they, did they do some great things. Where is Luke Allen? There is Luke. Luke is being ordained in a few moments. He's hiding from me tonight. Luke, we normally make them sit right down here where they can uh, feel the heat from the sermon. But you are wiser. You, uh, you kept you and Leslie away. But I'm talking to Luke. I'm talking to our deacons and talking to all of us because what we see in these scriptures are some principles that if we will live out, we can surely make a tremendous uh, difference in our world. Here's the first thing. When we are on fire in the right ways, wrong ways to be on fire, uh, Hitler, Charles Manson had enthusiasm about their causes. When you are on fire in the right ways, you bless your church. You bless your church. Now, folks, in the New Testament, the church is described in two ways. It's described uh, as the universal church, which is all Christians of all times, of all ages. In other words, the person in Beijing that is a Christian and the person in Ruston that's a Christian. We are all members of the church of Jesus Christ. The dominant term for church in the New Testament, I mean about 85% of the time that it's used, it's talking about the local body of Christ. An example of that would be our church here. We are a local church. That's the dominant emphasis in the New Testament. The church is described in two beautiful ways, as the body of Christ. Now, how many of you is your body important to you? If it's not important, let's chop one of your pinkies off tonight, and I guarantee you, you will realize how significant your body is. It's very significant to you. It's very important to you. Uh, if you're a married man, your bride was a significant, hopefully is a significant thing to you, correct? Men, answer that affirmatively before you get yourself in trouble, yes. And Jesus says, as the church, we are his body and his bride, and he wants us to make a positive impact in his church. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, we see some guys that make a great impact. In those days, 
when the number of disciples was increasing, the church is growing, the Grecian Jews, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, Jewish people from more of an Hellenistic background, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Uh, the Jews who were probably Jews, historically, they had a long bloodline there, spoke Hebrew, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Isn't it good to know the early church had problems? Amen, it is. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. In verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procorius, Nicanor, Timian, Parmenius. These sound like Italian food things, don't they? Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. We're going to do that later this evening. And in verse 7, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. There was trouble in the church body. You had distinct groups as the church was growing, as it was beginning to explode in its growth, and you had the different groups of people from different backgrounds who were beginning to feel like they were not being treated fairly. And that was causing a problem. And it was going to cause a big problem. Guys, a lot of times, if, if we don't deal with the problem when it's little, it becomes what? Big. And this was on the verge of becoming big. And we believe this is the place where the, the, the body or the origin of the deacon came into place. In verse 2, Kyle, if you can put that back up there. In verse 2, there's a little phrase that says at the very end, in order to wait on tables. That, those two words in the English, wait on, it's one word in the Greek New Testament, and, and that word can be translated servant or it can be translated deacon. And we believe... These seven men were chosen at this point to be the deacons. And their job was to allow the preachers, the ministers, to preach and to study and to lead. And these guys were chosen to help be the servants, to do the servant work in the church while the preachers and the ministers could do the preaching and the praying and the leading. And guys, when they did this, tremendously wonderful things happened. Now, it's a sermon all in itself, but I'm just going to touch on some things in this that, that you and I can see and we can learn from Luke. This is what a deacon's supposed to be. But not only is it what a deacon's supposed to be, it's what a Christian is supposed to be, what a, a minister is supposed to be. These are characteristics that help make a church great. The church here tonight, we are not a religious group. We are not a parachurch extra organization. We are the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. This is the greatest organization in the world. The only eternal one, by the way. Now, that's exciting, isn't it, that we're a part of. So how can we make sure we bless our church? We see it here. We see it in what these guys laid out. I'm going to give you a couple of words that begin with S. The first is spiritual. These were spiritual men. 
Luke, did you notice it said they were full of wisdom and full of the Spirit? These guys chosen to be deacons. We don't know how smart they were intellectually. We don't know how much money they made, but we know they were spiritual people. Spiritual people who really love Christ always make their church better. Unspiritual people who may be religious normally create problems in their church. The great ones are spiritual. Here's the second one. They're servants. The deacons were chose to be servants. Herschel Hobbes, a great Bible scholar and preacher, said that this word, wait on, used other places in 1 Timothy 3, it is translated specifically deacon, literally was a menial servant. It was a person who did the the lowest of tasks. In other words, a deacon is a person that's willing to do anything that needs to be done to get it done. You have to expand that because... A Christian is called to be a servant. When Jesus gave his purpose statement, one of the things he said is, I have come to tell people what to do. I have come so you may shine my shoes, or in his case, sandals. No, he said, I have come to serve. I've come to serve. A deacon is a servant. Great people are servants. Uh, Luke, the, the call to be a deacon is not a call to be in the Hall of Fame. It is drafted into service. We didn't tell you that till tonight because now we've got you. You're here. You try to run, your father's going to trip you. We've got you. You're, you're stuck. But the call to be a deacon is the call to service. The call to be a Christian is the call to service. Listen, guys, when, when you begin to, to align your life spiritual and you're a servant, you're, you're on the right track to making your church great. Here's the third thing. They were supportive. They were supportive. When you, you look at the origin of the deacon... It, it, from the very beginning, it was to support the church and to support the ministers. Now, I, I know, listen, I know there's a lot of ministers that got it coming someday when they stand before God. I know that. I know there's a lot of church members that got it coming too. And when I don't behave the way I should, I, God's going to get me if I don't get it right. But the same is the other way. How do we help each other when we don't support each other? Let me tell you, we don't help each other at all. How do we help? Can you imagine standing before God and you're a Christian someday and God saying, tell me why you tore your church up. We've got all eternity. I'd love to hear what the reasons are. And as a preacher, I, I what's it going to be like standing before God and he goes, tell me why you did such a bad job. Tell me why you got all your sermons off the internet. I didn't. I, I, I'm God, I know. Won't be any fooling around then. Deacons were chosen originally to serve and to support. That role has never changed. Great people are always people that undergird others and help them and make things better by their support. Here's the fourth thing. They're about solutions. Luke, great people, whether it's where you work, are in your church or in our community, are always about positive solutions. Let me give you a list of, of people. Uh, and this describes people in the church. It describes people in your family, everywhere. We all fall in one of these categories when it comes to problems, when it comes to the environment we live in. First, there's the clueless. They don't know anything's going on. You know any clueless? Don't point, but you do, don't you? And then there's the passionless. The passionless know that there's problems or needs. They just don't care. 
Whatever is their motto for life. Then there is the spineless. The spineless know there's problems, and it's not that they don't care. They just don't have a backbone to do anything about it. You recognize any of these people? The clueless, the passionless, the spineless. And then there's the godless. The godless is the one that's aware there's problems and then excites them because then they want to jump in there and make it worse. And then there's the (laughs) Christ-likeness. The ones like these guys, Luke, who saw that there was a need and they said, what can we do to make it better? It's a wonderful old saying. I have no idea who created it. It may have been Reggie Hanchy. It sounds like a Reggie Hanchy quote. That we all carry around two buckets in our hand. We have a bucket of water or a bucket of gas. It's symbolic, hopefully, most of the time. But when we come upon things in our church, our family, in our workplace, we hear something that's negative or critical. We have a choice. We can throw water on that. Or we can throw gas Godless people throw gas because they like to stir it up. Tell me what's wrong. (laughs) How can we make it worse? (sighs) Now, they're, they're normally, especially in church, they're much smoother than that. But godly people do just the opposite. They throw water on the bad, and then when they hear something good, no matter how small it is, they do what? They throw gas on it. You're carrying two buckets. Luke, these guys knew how to use the buckets. They were positive solution oriented. And listen, when you put all these S's together, what you end up with ultimately is success. In verse 7, it's a, it's a short little verse that would be very easy to miss the unbelievable significance here. They had problems that were going to be big problems. They, they create the position of deacon. The deacons begin to serve. Look what happens. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. What that means is there were people being saved left and right. And a large number of the priests, that was the Sadducees, some of Jesus' most venomous opponents, became obedient, got saved to the faith. Wow, isn't that a neat story? Problems, ministers are confused, they're overworked, they don't know what to do. God says, deacons. They create this position of deacons, these deacons begin to function. The church is functioning properly and well. And and and, and evangelism explodes. The church growth explodes again. And some of the most hardened, difficult people in the community are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Luke This is what God wants you to be. This is what God wants me to be. Deacons and all of us, this is what God wants us to be. Henry Blackaby, most of us know him from Experiencing God, the the book, asked a very, I think a very pertinent question for us this evening. He asks you to ask yourself, how am I helping my church grow? See, most of the time we, we hold church growth simply to the ministers, don't we? Well, they're the paid professionals. And if Wayne was doing better, Chris was doing better, Clayton was doing better, Josh, then we'd be growing. And certainly we are the first line of accountability, but we're all responsible for how well the church does, aren't we? We are. 
And when we do the things we should do as deacons and as Christians, we all play a part in the health and the expansion of the church. You see, great people bless their church. But here's the second thing, and to me it even gets more exciting. Listen, when, when we are the right kind of people, we're in fire, on fire in the right ways, we have a widespread, even what we could say, a, a, a worldwide influence for Jesus Christ. You see, all this began to happen in the church, but it didn't stay in the church, and it never does when it's happening in the right way. Luke, one of the great things we're going to see in just a moment is that these guys not only bless their church, they bless the world. And it started in their world. If we look in, in verses, chapter 6, verse 8 through 11, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, now this is a deacon, remember, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen as it were called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the ones from the province of Asia. The men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to, to speak against him. We have heard Stephen blaspheming against Moses and against God. Now, I'm not going to read it, but if you jump over to chapter 7, verse 54 through 60... Let me paraphrase what happened here. I'll just paraphrase it. Stephen argues with these folks, or really kind of debates with them, and he just completely annihilates them. Not in a mean way. He just dismantles them because he's right. And he has God on his side. And they respond so well that they kill him. You remember this story? They stoned him to death. And Stephen makes a great statement. He says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, folks, what's significant about that? Almost any time God is mentioned at the throne, he's always seated. But what a wonderful thing it says here that he saw him standing as he waited on this deacon to come expectantly into heaven. The first Christian martyr that we have after Jesus Christ is Stephen. Norman Rogers, one of our deacons, has reminded me frequently that the first martyr was a deacon. And I told him if he continues in his behavior, there may be a second martyr deacon uh, in the near future. But isn't that exciting? Not, not exciting that deacons were killed. But I think it's exciting that you see that it wasn't just the paid professionals that when Stephen got on fire for Christ, he didn't have to have the title of an ordained minister, an ordained missionary, an ordained preacher. Man, he went out in his world where he lived, he got on fire, and he began to impact his world in a tremendous way. What are we waiting on? Luke, you got all the credentials you need to make a huge splash in your world. Follower of Jesus Christ. Putting deacon on there even helps it more. Should help it more. What about us? What are we waiting on? What do we need? Do we need some other special affirmation or title? No. You see, this beautiful story reminds us that when a man or a woman, a minister or a deacon, or anybody that says, I'm going to do it for God, 
and gets on fire for Jesus Christ can have a huge impact in their world. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? But not only in our world, what we see in this story is it expands throughout the world. In chapter 8, after Stephen dies, the people rightly begin to flee from Jerusalem. In verses 4 through 8, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now, let me tell you what was happening here. Philip, this is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip the deacon. Philip the deacon. There's persecution. He ends up having to leave Jerusalem and he goes to Samaria. Now, did the Jewish people and the Samaritans like each other? Absolutely hated each other. Jesus had begun to break down some of those barriers. Remember the woman at the well? How many of you remember the old song, Like the Woman at the Well, I Was Thinking? I had a girlfriend used to sing that everywhere. I'd, I'd preach one sermon and she'd sing that. I could have sang it. She could have preached my sermon. We knew each other by heart. My sermon was sinking too, but it was not about sinking. But they hated each other. It went back 700 years, the hatred, where the Jewish people had, the Samaritans had been exported and imported and switched around. They had intermarried. Their their ethnicity, their culture, their religion had been all mixed up. And the Jewish people considered them half-breed mongrel Jews, and they hated them. And what's the normal reaction when someone hates you just because you exist? You probably do not care for them. But boy, isn't it a neat thing what the gospel does to that kind of junk. Philip didn't say, oh, they're not my race. Oh, I'm not a professional minister. Oh, my grandparents didn't like those kind of people. Philip said, this is where I'm going, and I'm taking the gospel with me, and I'm going to start sharing Jesus Christ every place I go. Very likely, the very first foreign missionary we have in the New Testament was a deacon. What a neat story. A guy who broke down racial barriers, social barriers, all those things. But he didn't stop there in verses 26 and 29. It says, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road. It goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way to meet an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in a chariot reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, we're going to skip a little bit. Jump down to verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. Let me tell you the rest of the story. They're going along, and the, the, the Ethiopian gets saved. And he says, here's water. And they get down, and Philip baptizes him right there. Wonderful story again. Philip's in the midst of a revival in Samaria. God is working. In the middle of the revival, God says, I want you to leave. Philip left. Philip's walking down a road, and here's a guy in a chariot. 
God says, go up to that chariot and listen to what's going on. Eavesdrop a little bit. Snoop. So he goes and he walks up. And the guy is reading from the book of Isaiah. It says the guy was an Ethiopian treasurer. And he worked for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, Candace was a title just like Caesar or Pharaoh was a title. Candace meant the queen of Ethiopia. And in their world in Ethiopia, the queen ran the country. The king was considered deity. He did not lower himself to take care of the menial things like running the kingdom. So the queen, in effect, is the most important person in the kingdom. This is the most important person in the kingdom's number one financial person who probably is a convert to Judaism, has gone to Jerusalem to worship God, is coming back, has enough money or influence that has a scroll, is reading Isaiah, doesn't understand what's being said, and here comes the deacon. And the deacon doesn't say, let's go get the preacher, which is always a fine thing to do. He doesn't say, let's go get somebody else. The deacon knows what to do. The deacon understands the scriptures. The deacon sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The deacon explains the scriptures. And the deacon leads them to Christ and baptizes them right there in the spot. Isn't that a great story? And the gospel goes to Africa about 1,500 years before it makes it to America. Isn't that wonderful? And it goes to the... Highest official in the country's number one hand. All because a deacon was the right kind of person, Luke. What a great story. What a great story. God used me. My goodness, if you and I pray God used me, you better duck. Because he will. Because he will. Many of you know who Chris Rock is. He's a... He's an actor, uh, comedian. He was interviewed, oh, several years ago about his religious views. I want you to listen carefully what he said. He said, my grandfather was a preacher. He said he was one of the funniest guys I've ever known. He said he ran around on grandma a lot, cussed all the time, but he was a great guy. Granddaddy was a pastor. Granddaddy's deacons were great guys. But a bunch of them got arrested for selling cocaine. Now, they weren't doing, and he made a point to say this, they weren't doing this out of the church, but, you know, just selling cocaine. They asked Chris Rock, what is your religious views today? He said, religious views? He said, my beliefs are is that you treat people fair and you do right, and the rest of that stuff is just junk. How many of you can blame him for feeling that way? That guy has international influence. What would his influence be like today if granddaddy would have been the right kind of preacher? What would his influence have been like today if those deacons would have been the right kind of men? Now, the great news, I don't think in our church, cocaine-selling deacons and cursing, running around ministers is not the major problem. But our problems are just as real. They're They're just smoothed over. We have half-hearted commitments. 
We have a hard time getting along. We fight over the minor stuff. We don't take care of the major stuff. And then we wonder why our kids aren't that interested in church 30 years from now. Influence starts tonight. Starts where we are. And Luke, it may be you, it may be your son, but you've got influence that can touch the world as everyone else here does. Maybe it's by your praying and by your giving. Maybe it'll be by your going. But what an exciting thing to get a hold of that the first martyr and the first foreign missionaries were guys that had their hands laid on their heads, look like you're going to, who were deacons. There was a survey done. I would love to see the whole survey of 50 people, 95 years and older. And they asked them all kinds of questions, but one question they asked them was, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? The dominant response that came back over and over again was this. If I could live my life over, I would live it and do it for things that were going to outlast me. I would do it for things that were going to have eternal value. hundred years from now, sorry even you in the balcony, probably none of us are going to be here but our influence can be. I want to challenge you. Luke, I want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge all of our deacons here tonight. And I want to challenge everyone. Let's choose to have a positive influence. Let's choose to make this church the greatest church she can be. Let's choose to impact Ruston and the world like God wants us to. Maybe that choice will be just where you're standing in a moment. Maybe it'll be at the altar, but make that choice. You want to join the church tonight and you're not a member, come and join us this evening. We would love for you to do that. Or maybe you're here tonight and you would like to give your life to Christ. That's the first step in the road. You come in just a moment. Let us help you with that. Let's stand. And as God leads you, respond to Him tonight.